everything I've ever done has just been sort of autopilot, uh, naive, competitive shit. You know what I mean? It's never been like super thought out. It's been more like the sort of knee-jerk reaction to things I don't like, which is a strength and also a weakness. Welcome to Making Conversation with me, Grant Bryden, a podcast about music, creativity, and careers. For this series, I've sat down with a range of artists and creative professionals in order to learn about how their unique experiences and perspectives can help us in our own creative and business practices. For this episode, I spoke to singer, songwriter, and producer Dijon. The LA-based artist has been doing his best to stay as proactive as possible during the pandemic. In May, he released his latest solo project, How Do You Feel About Getting Married, alongside his first production credit for Charlie XCX's Pink Diamond, the opening track from her latest album, How I'm Feeling Now. And last month, he dropped The Mothership Coming, a collection of experimental music on Bandcamp, with all of the proceeds going to support The Black Woman's Blueprint, The Acra Project, NAACP, Afro Rack, and Black Lives Matter LA. We caught up over FaceTime from his home in Highland Park, where he was very candid about his creative journey so far and how studying literature and underground hip-hop would lead him on a quest towards making music that feels necessary. To start off, it, it feels like a tougher a tougher question than, than usual, but but how are you doing right now and how are you kind of have you been adapting and reacting to what's going on in the world? Yeah, I mean um you know i'm doing okay i'm doing as, as well as you can uh my girlfriend and i try to be as active and you know participatory as possible in the la area and luckily there's a lot of a lot of people so you know there's a simultaneous uh optimism there alongside some of the pretty obvious cynicism that i think naturally arises but yeah, I'm just trying to become a little more useful and try to figure out. Um, it's just such a different position, you know, being a creative in the time, just trying to figure out what's the most efficient use of my time. It, 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 you can't help but feel a bit, um, a, a bit like the kind of thing that you do, especially like, like I'm kind of in this weird in-between stage where I'm not that big, but like, you know, getting to the point where it's getting a little bit bigger and it, it, it sort of calls into question the general usefulness of music sometimes. I mean, I know some people would say that's pessimistic, but this is kind of how I've always felt generally. And this sort of amplifies that that kind of question for me. But just trying to figure it out, you know, go through and try to just learn more about what I can do with my role in the situation. It sounds like a generic answer, but I think it's actually just as honest as, it, as I can be, you know what I mean? I'm still taking a lot of these things, absorbing a lot of things and formulating my own little world and ideas about everything. So it, it's, uh, yeah, it's been weird, you know, but it's been good. It's been, it's been hopeful. I, I like the idea of um, this sort of fledgling revolutionary ideology developing pretty organically i like it I'm, I'm a fan of that and um we'll see how 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 deep we can take it and how people like on the creative side can assist in that way you know there's a lot of complications that go into it so yeah you know. i wondered how it's been in 
I, I don't know if you've been out sort of protesting and stuff, but I, d- I wondered how, you know, in, Lo- in London, when you go to a protest, it feels very positive. But then obviously when you see the imagery that kind of ends up online or the, 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 the narrative that gets pushed, it's, it's quite different from when you're actually there experiencing it. I wondered, obviously, because we just see what we see online in L.A., I wondered what it's actually like out there. Um, yeah, I mean, my girlfriend and I, <clears throat> we've been to a number of them. We were there at, I think, the most infamous one uh, that was in Fairfax, and we were on Fairfax and 3rd. And I'll say, I mean, the general situation was just overwhelmingly positive. The whole situation was, you know, pretty uniquely organized. And there was a, you know, there was a, a sort of excitement, but there was never really much tension. And I'll just say firsthand, I mean, the aggression came from police, from my perspective, and every other protest I've been at, um, they've all been pretty positive. But I mean, the one that got really televised was, you know, when all the perceived rioting happened in Fairfax, and we were there. I mean, the initiation of the violence was always on their side. Yeah, I've never experienced that where I'd been to a protest. It was my first time in my life where I actively was like engaging in, you know, the the the, the discourse in that way. And I remember we were there for like six hours, came home, turned on the news, and saw a completely different narrative being spun. And I've never, I haven't had TV in probably like a decade, but um, I, I just, I never witnessed the, 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 the sheer force of, of media, um, of, of media manipulation in that way. And it was very disheartening. Every other protest I've been to, I've been to the, you know, numerous downtown, they've all been overwhelmingly peaceful. That's just how it goes though. You know what I mean? I, I think that anybody with a, with a functioning brain should understand that sort of militarized presence, which is very prevalent here, just creates aggression. And um, any sort of tension or release, I think, is completely justified. But with that being said, I never saw any uh, overwhelmingly violent acts at the protests I've been to. They were all initiated by police, in my opinion. Not, you know, this isn't position to be like on a, on a platform like that but i'm just saying what i saw and what i've seen every single time is there's like a, a persistent aggression from the police force and you know everything has been pretty positive though I, we've been getting a lot less media coverage of the protests now but they're still happening pretty frequently and um, i think there was one this morning that i didn't go to but yeah they've just been really peaceful you know it's been very nice to see and, and, and so many you know, non-black, specifically white people sort of being there and, and, and is, has been very interesting and very, very positive to see. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, this seems, seems like generic stuff. I mean, people, people have a more articulate ways of talking about these things. But, yeah, they've been really hopeful, in my opinion. I mean, and I'm, and I'm a pretty self-described pessimist sometimes, and these have been extremely positive and, and have definitely shaped the way I've been thinking about things a lot differently. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Even before that, we were already in a, in a weird time with quarantine and, and COVID. And you've obviously been super creative throughout this time or 
prolific somewhat that you've you've dropped a bunch of stuff how have you found that that sort of period so the quarantine happened right when my first tour ever ended and i'm not i've actually found myself missing tour but i'm not the most excited to leave my routine so when i got back i was kind of just in this groove of okay i just got on tour you know i just got off tour the, the ep is about to be released in a little bit i can go back to just kind of exploring and, and and trying to feel around for certain sounds and then we got locked down and i'd say the first month was just one of the most productive months i've ever had but it wasn't necessarily for the dijon project you know what i mean i just was able to there was no expectation anymore so i was very free to wake up or stay up really late and do stuff and that sort of helped me out quite a bit but i will admit it kind of died down a little bit you get a little bit of a cabin fever like the two months in and i found myself a little less inspired so anything that i i dropped a little band camp thing but most of that was being done sort of at the beginning of quarantine right just little things that i would share with my friends and just other ways to sort of exercise i, I get you know you get a little restless when you feel like you're inadvertently back into a corner with the singer songwriter stuff you know what i mean my my root has always been in like production and trying new things and and so most of the stuff that i've been releasing is actually was, was done pretty early in quarantine and i i will admit i probably haven't touched my computer in like a month but but um yeah it's it's been good it's been like a double-edged sword it's, it's been a little stifling and then at the same time pretty randomly uh quite inspiring yeah. you know how, how did you find the period once you kind of dropped off that you know that that first part a little is a little bleak you know what i mean it, it calls into uh it, it really accentuates for me a lot of my attention deficit issues so the moment i wasn't as inspired or readily inspired to write or make music you know i was trying to, to read more trying to and it, it just i just found myself a bit stir crazy and restless without any place to go so it's 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 but you know overall it's been good i can't complain um i'd say you know once the protests and things started to happen it gave a bit more of a purpose to the whole situation and to the to, to the to the lockdown a little bit and it felt like more of a relief to be out there and, and trying to, to learn more and, and participate in that way so yeah it's just been double-edged just learned a lot about about my own habits you know what i mean um so we'll see i i can't say i want to ever go back to any sort of perceived normal personally i have nothing <laughs> i have nothing out there that i miss really but um yeah it's just put into perspective a lot of time management and stuff like that you know and the days just blur by so yeah yeah for sure you were supposed to be touring with vampire weekend i'm guessing has that been postponed or do you know what's happening with that i think it's been just outright canceled for now right. um which was totally understandable yeah i it was it was exciting. It was very um, I was very honored to be considered in the situation. But yeah, I'm not like lamenting <laughs> the loss. It, it was going to be a really odd run, so I was excited about that. And I've never I've never been to that far northeast, right? In the U.S., so I was really excited to. I've always wanted to go to Maine, and um, so that's that's my big regret. You know right. I, mean? I don't know if I was necessarily super ready to to perform at that scale. Uh, my um, friends and guys I, I play with live and make music with 
we were all just kind of like, yeah, don't know how this is going to pan out. Don't know how this is going to shake down. It seems very, very weird. But yeah, I, I was excited and it is what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So going way back, what was your first experience of hearing music and feeling affected in some way by it? Both my parents are military, so I used to, you know, <clears throat> periodically be under the care of like family members on either side. And a lot of those family members were a lot older. So I guess since the beginning, I was the only, uh, my, my mom wasn't super good with like video or, or photos when I was a kid, but the few I've seen, they were all music based, which is very interesting to me. Right. This little video of me in a bathtub singing a gospel song. I, I never grew up. My parents aren't religious, so I don't know where I heard it, but I think it's just been there. And I think that I attribute that to just cousins at the time being like 16, 17 when I was like five and they were just given CDs or using their allowance to buy CDs. And I just listened to whatever was around. I was used to be obsessed with music videos and I, I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. And that was just the kind of thing I used to tape the radio and stuff like that. And all of those things, just kind of like my earliest memories, you know, the most distinct, summer I, I, th I think I can think of was when I was eight and I think Country Grammar by Nelly came out right and, and I think the Marshall Mathers LP came out and I was on I, I was being watched by my cousin from my mom's side in uh in Maryland and yeah I just remember like that's all we did all day you know we would go get food or like ice cream they would drive around and that's all we would do is listen to to those two albums and those are like the earliest earliest memories and then also the rush hour two cd right. the soundtrack or rush hour one actually and uh those are my earliest memories of just like riding around listening to music and just sort of the limitation of of choice forced me to to pick up on those albums pretty intensely and those they, they've been I, I i'm sure i could still recite every lyric off the marshall Mathers lp by heart and i haven't listened to it in years but that was like the initiation for me with music. I think also the Chronic 2001 came out that time. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I was listening to when I was a little kid. So those are my earliest memory. Perfect. What what kind of things were your parents listening to? Were they music fans? Were they musical at all? Um, my dad, I, I didn't really actively live with my dad until I was a little bit older. But my mom, she's got this, she, she was military, she was army as well. And she has this very unique perspective. She had a couple of CDs around, but she, my mom is like very apathetic toward music. So what she would do is, when I was a kid, she would just buy like kind of the latest CD that existed, but she was never really married to anything. The only things I remember were, at that time, she had like D'Angelo's Brown Sugar, she had Erica Badu's um, Mama's Gun, and she had like ushers my way and those are just like things that came out that she had didn't necessarily care much to like she wasn't gravitating towards them for any i think specific purpose they just were out at the time and yeah that was like that was kind of the, i just inadvertently listened to the things that were given to me but there was no musical emphasis in my life really hmm. it, and it wasn't really a thing that i thought that i would be trying to do it just was it was there always at what point did you feel like there was music that 
felt like your music or kind of your soundtrack, something that you were really sort of living to and bringing home? I mean, I I know you obviously mentioned Nelly and Eminem, but when you kind of really got into music and it wasn't just something that you sort of landed upon like that? Yeah, um, I'd say it's all pretty scattered, but there were like pretty early factors that happened. So when I was like 14, I was living in California very briefly. And somebody gave me a uh, a Little Brother CD. Right. They gave me like Little Brother. Um, they they burnt a copy of uh, The Listening. Right. And I think I was like 14. And I remember being like, okay, this is crazy. And then somebody gave me maybe a year later one of MF Doom's records. I think it was uh, like maybe it was Um Food at the time. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the time. It could have been something else. But that was when I was actively like searching and then I, I simultaneously got into like file sharing so you know i was introduced to like one you know these little brother songs whatever so i started going on limewire and looking for other things that were produced by ninth wonder and then i think i got into like i'm going deep here but there was a consequences i think welcome to the cleaners that was executive produced by kanye it was a little mixtape which yeah. also had little brother and i think i found that through like file sharing and that was when I was really actively like, all right, I'm, I'm down. I'm listening to music. I was just like stealing everything that I could. You know what I mean? Like, I think Lupe Fiasco had like, a, you know, those those records leading up to Food and Liquor. He had some like float around singles and things like that. And I remember like actively hunting and searching in that realm for things. Um, and then I got like into, you know, the clips and things just 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 based off of like the radio would would do one thing i would search for for another thing find another thing and that sort of uh, i actively started hunting though i I think when somebody gave me a little brother cd that just sort of was the beginning of things and then pretty shortly afterward i was given a uh, cracked copy of fl studio and all these things sort of happened simultaneously so i would listen to something and then try to recreate beats or, or, or make beats on fl studio and then yeah, it just sort of it sort of moved from there. I got very obsessed with like raps underground for a very long time, and I felt like because of the internet resources that I had, I had like actively exhausted everything that rap had to offer. I'm, I'm I went to the furthest reaches of like hip hop, you know what I mean, and became obsessed, and then also very nitpicky about the things that I liked, the things I didn't like, and at that same time, when I was getting sort of uh, drained by the endless quest to sort of I mean I was like I was all over the place I was that stuff sort of like started a huge snowball effect for yeah you know you start off with like little brother and then I ended up going all the way to like um you know I got into like LP company flow all the Def Jook stuff the Aesop Rock stuff and then you know you start to that's kind of like the furthest it goes rap at that time so then I started looking for other things and I would go you know, simultaneously between parents. So whenever I go to my mom's, I had friends over there who were more into like, uh, you know, like indie rock stuff. So a lot of them were listening to like Block Party at the time. And I got into that kind of world because I had been sort of, you know, I, I didn't, but I felt like I'd sort of mastered all of what rap had at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was so obsessed and so obsessive about it that eventually somebody showed me like Block Party and like, the Mars Volta. And then that sort of opening up, you know, a new realm of, of not sampled music and 
at the same time, like I said, I was making I was making beats. So I started to slowly shift the interest, and I did the same sort of obsessive hunting that I did with rap music, with like guitar-based things. By the time I was like 16 or 17, and yeah, both of those kind of converged. Those worlds sort of converged. They 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 converged and they overlapped pretty intensely for me, and that was like that's pretty much the basic alchemy of how my music started to happen. What what was the early stuff like that you were making on FL Studio? It was pretty sample based, pretty sample heavy. I was really obsessed with the, I I didn't know how to use FL. I'm not, I've never been much like a manual reader. And so I had found these really clunky, bizarre ways to like chop samples. So I would be torrenting like huge archives of like soul music and then I would just sample the shit out of them. I would just chop little phrases and little things like that. It was very like, you know, Dilla world for a while. That's where I got like my understanding of drums was, I was just really obsessed with Dilla and like everybody was at that time, but I was obsessed with what made the drums work. You know what I mean? I was listening to Voodoo a lot when I was like 15, 16 and I was always obsessed with the groove and and so all my stuff was very like boom bappy sort of but decidedly pretty janky because i I didn't learn what an eq was until i was like maybe 19 or 20. so all my stuff was really blown out and like messy and but it was all soul based sample based kind of stuff just trying to figure out how to make my own little identity i was no good at i'd actually heard of tyler the creator when i was like 15 going on 16 because and I'm, you know, I have a lot of respect for Tyler, but it's never been the music that I gravitated towards. But I remember making music at that time and hearing like, he had a, a MySpace that was called like Ace the Creators, you know, shit. And I remember hearing his shit and being so overwhelmed and so disappointed in myself because a lot of it didn't feel sampled. And I remember I was still trying to like kick around and try to figure, figure out how to make a sound for myself. And this person, I think, was like a year older than me and was making these like very bizarre, but very original sounding beats. I think at that time he, he'd only had like one or two songs and vocals on his MySpace. The rest of them were, were instrumentals. And I remember being like, fuck, I don't have like much of a sound here because my shit was just like Dilla ripoffs. You know what I mean? And that sort of little things like that sort of galvanized me to start changing the way I made music. But for the most part, it was always just like trying to recreate these Jay Dilla common kinds of worlds you know i think i really wanted to rap for a long time but just never really did so i was making beats that i thought i would eventually rap on you know what i mean do you do you think at the time did you think that you were good at it i had a few friends who we all shared the same like cracked copy of fl studio and we were all getting pretty good but i always felt that i did have like a knack for doing things that I wanted to do without knowing like how, how to do them, if that makes any sense. I was always aware that I didn't make the things that I wanted to hear, but I was always simultaneously aware that I was pretty good at getting stuff done. That I think there was a one time I sampled like this, this track and I wanted a, a drum fill. And I remember not knowing how to do it, so I found like this really weird workaround to get like a drum fill that I wanted. I remember being like, all right, I think I'm pretty good at like making things i'm just not quite 
I'm not doing anything really profound right now. But I remember being pretty, pretty satisfied that I like, probably should be continuing to do it. You know what I mean? That makes any sense. It wasn't. I think by the time I was making beats and stuff for a year, I sort of subconsciously told myself this is probably what I was going to do forever. Everything, all my other focuses, sort of moved to what I thought were just additive ways to enhance my creative stuff. They, they stopped being like this generalized education. I just started to look at things and read things and listen to things and watch things that I thought would just contribute to a greater style and a greater sound. So it was pretty early. I think I thought it was pretty good. I don't think I was, but I found a couple of those beats a couple of years ago. Some of them are not bad. They're not like shitty, you know what I mean? But they're not necessarily that original, you know what I mean? Right. How did you graduate out of FL Studio? What was the kind of next step? Um, I still use FL to be honest with you, but not really as as I, I've just been like a voracious uh, obsessive about newness, and I think that's been something that like started pretty recently. But like, I moved back to Maryland um, to uh, go to college. And I remember everybody in like the, the neighboring areas were very much like DIY rock or DIY punk kind of stuff. And I loved that shit. I was really into it. But I remember like thinking that nobody I knew around me, and I'm sure it was not true, but it just everybody I knew immediately in the circle, they weren't trying to make hyper contemporary things. So I wasn't super aware of like the weird you know, new, soulful, dancey shit that was happening with, like, Selection. I wasn't really aware of that until until it was really happening. But I remember just, like, naturally, instead of trying to be in a band, when I went home to Maryland, just wanting to make things, like, on a computer. I just thought that, like, that was the only logical thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I used FL to try and make, like, things that I thought weren't associated with FL. But we realized that everybody does everything on everything. I was just kind of naive. But that was like my headspace was just trying to eventually... I've just been really competitive my entire life, but not for things that I don't care about. I was never really good at sports. I was never good at like legitimate physical competition, but I was always very competitive taste-wise. So I just tried to use things that that I thought would challenge me to be limited, but also to try and do things in a certain confine that, that would bring out something new. So I never really stopped using FL. I use it all the time, actually, still. Okay. But if, if you mean, like, how did I get out of that little beat world, it just it, it came from, like, necessity. I, just, I, I started realizing how many people were getting access to uh, DAWs. Yeah. And how, how much better they were than me at producing. And everybody pretty much that I've ever met is a better producer than I am in like a technical way. So I just tried to shift from like doing things that I wasn't really, like I wasn't into like making a sound super clean. You know what I mean? Like that's what I saw that sort of evolution of music happen when I was in college was kids sort of becoming hyper obsessed with these like, with mixing and, and, and their production sounding sort of this this new age contemporary clean 
thing. And I just remember thinking like, I'm never going to be that good. And I think like Cashmere Cat came out at that time and like Arca was just existing at that time. And I just remember being like, yeah, I'm never going to be this good ever. Like I, I used to get discouraged by like Flying Lotus because it was so dense and so clean and so specifically tailored to this like computer-based music making. So I started to just move away from making beats because I thought that there might be a different perspective that I can chase and that might be through songs. And you know, you feel around in the dark for a very long time. I was making really, really shitty songs for a very long time, um, trying to just enhance the skills that I was sort of uh, honing and try to just continue to enhance it in different ways. But I didn't want to do that through like mixing. That's what I kind of, it was, it's a pretty bad generalization, but that's what I felt at the time people were excelling at. I, I didn't think people were making good music. I thought a lot of people were just getting really, really good at like making sound. And I remember just being like, well, I'm not going to compete in that beat lane anymore because everybody's better than me. Um, but I will try to like make different songs. Everything I've ever done has just been sort of autopilot, uh, naive, competitive shit. You know what I mean? It's never been like super thought out. It's been more like, the sort of knee-jerk reaction to things I don't like, which is a strength and also a weakness, you know what I mean? But I have so much respect for people I came up with who, like, really supported what we were... What, like, me and my friend Abi were in that little group, Abi Dijon. And I have so much respect and, and, and love for people who supported us. But I was always, like, very resistant towards any sort of circle or any sort of scene. So I spent a lot of time just trying to find new ways blindly to make music that wasn't like anybody else's. And, you know, you fail and you succeed. You're always going to be hit with comparisons and shit like that. But that's always been the impetus for me. So I moved out of just making beats out of sheer, uh, just sheer stubbornness. I just didn't want to be associated with, I always just had so much bolt like shit to talk about everything. Yeah. So the moment you get embraced by one scene or some people, you start to get love I use a lot of like my early, you know, young adult, adolescent angst to use that love as an opposite and fuel it to make it be like, well, I might be like slotting to you slotting too conveniently in this little box. So I don't want to do that shit anymore. And that was just always what it was. You know what I mean? It's also just comes from a lack of skill. I just, I'm not good at a lot of shit. So it's just, you find new ways to scramble and try something different. You know, what drew you to the guitar? I got a guitar <clears throat> when I was like 15. I, 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 um, it just was an accident. Like, um, I was at that time really obsessed with like, you know, DIY tape music and shit. And so I picked up a guitar because I think it was just there. It was given to me. And so I started like trying to learn a guitar and then it just ended up being this thing when I started making music more focused. I just knew a couple things on guitar, you know what I mean? And that was it. I mean, I, I, I oftentimes regret guitar being like my go-to instrument. I don't really like it that much, but it's just something that like my muscle memory understands a little bit more than anything else. So that's kind of like my situation. <laughs> Everything is completely random. For me. I really wish I was better at keys, but I just learned how to write songs on a guitar. You know what I mean? And I learned how to like make it more my style, which I think is a little more rhythmic and a little more pocket based because of how I play guitar. So 
all of that was just an accident. The chords I learned were from like listening to like Grouper at the time. I was listening to like, Grouper and like Jenna Hunter. And um, I just learned chords like that. And then when I started trying to apply more musicality and less samples to my music, that was all I had. Those, those are the only skills I had were like those kind of chords. So it just sort of snowballed from there. You know what I mean? How did you actually learn those chords? Like what, what was the actual actions you did to to teach yourself i just a lot of it was just some of it was like ultimate guitar kind of situation but then when it got, got to more obscure music i just would try to play along a lot of them were like i mean with grouper it's like it was a little different they were pretty strange tunings and stuff like that or at least that's what i felt but with like other stuff a lot of them like finger picked and i just try to do stuff by ear sometimes i would find be lucky to find somebody who had tabs on like a weird obscure song and I would um, try to play that. I think I, the first joint I really tried to play was uh, These Days by Nico. And it was like a really complicated picking pattern. And that was like, I just would go online and try to see how people played it. I was never really good at, at disciplining myself enough to learn something, though. So I would just get like the basic first 20 seconds of a song and then just give up and just move on to something else. And then I just slowly started applying those things to songs that I would write, you know? I noticed a bunch of people have like learned skin and Nico's red truck and put tabs up and doing tutorials and covers and stuff. Have you seen any of that? I've seen a few and it's really awesome. It's, it's quite surreal. I've had people DM asking for like the tabs to skin and a lot of them, if when I respond, I just don't know. I, I like, I actually had to recreate it live because I don't remember how to play it exactly how I played it. And um, it's cool, though. I mean, <laughs> I feel like there's so many better songs to learn on those. Those are pretty basic. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's really awesome. That's exactly how I learned how to make music. So, What is it that you don't like about guitar? You just said that you wish it wasn't your go-to. I, uh, I think it's just like a grass is greener kind of mentality, like, I feel like I have habits that are formed because of how I play guitar and, and structural habits. And, you know, I'm, like I said, I wasn't super, I'm not super disciplined with the technical side. So you, you fall into these routines or these patterns when you try to write a song. And just sometimes like the sound of the guitar just doesn't inspire me that much. It's just, it, it's a very specific timbre and I just don't always love it. And, at the same time, my surprise—I get surprised all the time when people do really cool shit on guitar. I just—you get that like sort of fatigue after a while of like the frequency space that it takes up in a mix, and it sort of results in this. It's—it's it's my own personal problem, but I've noticed that it sometimes results in like an autopilot for me. So I've just been slowly trying to expand the sounds a little bit more and challenge myself to work with other things to make things more dynamic. Just because it's just—it's. A guitar is a guitar is a guitar, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm just getting to, to the end of the excitement. Even though it's pretty naive, I can always learn how to be better at a guitar. I just don't always have the motivation to do that. So. I, I know at one point early on you had plans to become a teacher, and I wondered what kind of inspired that path for you. I just fell into college. I, I wanted to join the, the Marines at when I was 18 and um, I didn't 
both my parents are military and pretty unanimous discouragement. <clears throat> and so I kind of just found myself like in college. I think I started off as an environmental science major and then I ended up not, you know, feeling prepared for that because I didn't study that. I didn't, my math and my sciences weren't really up to par when I was in school. So by the time I got into an envir environmental science major, I was like pretty overwhelmed. So I went to, you know, I went to English because I'd always been a reader at that time. And you just sort of get this pressure, this weird idea that you have to know everything about your future. So by the tail end of you know, the latter half of my college, I just started taking more education classes because I was like, fuck, I got to figure something out. And I saw people also doing that. And I thought that teaching would just be like the most noble thing that you can do at the time. But, you know, I opted out of that because I didn't necessarily feel ready to do that. You know what I mean? I, I knew how stressful it was. And um, I just wasn't sure if I was mentally capable of that sort of responsibility at the time. So, but that was why I thought, I, I, that's what I thought I had to do to be somewhat, um, a po you know, a positive influence on the, on the planet somehow. You know what I mean? I think that's also why I wanted to join the military. I had this naive idea that doing that would give you a default purpose. I think I've been looking for that ever since though. You know, music was fun, but I always wrestled, you know, friends can tell you, management can tell you. I've always wrestled with the idea that maybe being creative isn't the most noble thing, which I know people would not agree with. And I don't think I agree with it myself, but it's a natural self shame mechanism that you have when you get to pursue something that you don't readily see the impact of, you know what I mean? And I think that's, I've just been searching for that kind of thing. So that's what made me want to be a teacher initially, but I just, I just chickened out. It was, it, was, it was intense. The idea was very intense to me. I was immature and, and wasn't ready to give up the little bit of freedom that I had just gotten when I when I got to college and I just opted out cowardly. And you you studied literature as well and I wondered where that interest came from and how that's kind of gone on to shape you as a writer. Yeah, I mean it's done a lot of good, I think. I I just I you know I got into that because you're an English major and it's like what's your focus gonna be? And I just was into you know, I, I did, you know, a focus in, on on literature just because I felt like it was, uh, I, like I said, I think subconsciously I always knew I wanted to make music, even if I didn't always agree with that choice personally, or always had some conflict with it. And I, I just felt like the most basic thing that you could do is get to get better at anything is to study other people who are good at something. And, you know, it started to shape the way I approach songwriting pretty specifically. I, I learned really quickly what I liked and what I didn't like when I read because you're forced to read so much that your, your brain naturally starts to compartmentalize things and things that into sections. And one of the sections was, this is an absolute pain in the ass to sit and read. And the other section was like, something is happening when I'm reading this, that's making me react very specifically. So I just, you know, lean towards those things. And, and I think very abstractly picked apart why I liked certain things in literature, you know, they be, it became like, you know, perspective changing or even length of things. And I started to gravitate towards short stories when I was in college and felt like those were readily 
applicable to songwriting. And um, yeah, that was just kind of it. I mean, it was a pretty basic exchange. It's also, you know, contributed to a pretty harsh view that I have about music sometimes because you, you're inundated so intensely with great works of literature that take years and years to create. And it created this perverse shame I had for music, you know, that, where I thought that it didn't take as much effort to make music because I, I randomly stumbled into it. And, you know, obviously I've changed my, my tune on that idea, but literature created this sort of unhealthy competition between high art and low art in my brain that I'm still working to sort of break because my natural inclination was I wanted to write. I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't have the discipline. I didn't have the consistency to write a great work. So I felt like I opted out and sort of making music instead. You know what I mean? Which is like not actually real and it's not healthy, but that was the negative side of studying literature was it created this weird hierarchy that shouldn't exist between high and low art for me and something I'm still working to, to break, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, Did that love of kind of underground rap and stuff that you had at that time, does that inform your lyrics as well as the literature? Yeah, it, it informs the way I, I try to, uh, it's a simultaneous, a simultaneous thing. Like the underground rap shit, like when I was first listening to like MF Doom or even like Cameron, which isn't as underground, but still has that same DNA. I was just really fascinated with uh, how illogical a lot of it could be. Specifically, like MF Doom, it was just illogical, but it made so much sense. So some of like the like you have like um, tripping off the beat, kind of dripping off the meat grinder. It like it it feels really good to me, and it also makes absolutely just the word association is completely abstracted. And I found that I was gravitating towards literature that did the same thing that evoked emotions by exploding two contrasts or two completely oppositional ideas and and completely subverting logic and i think that rap was my biggest uh my biggest influence it, it always will be like little things that can make it so expressive just like like when method man has like the he does like the little much respect due to the one six ooh, like you know ending a phrase without a real rhyme it, it ends a phrase with something more expressive and something completely abstract and illogical and those things have, have contributed to how i approach songwriting pretty intensely i think more than anything else hmm. is yeah so you know I've, I've never been like a fan of hyper intellectual like hyper conscious shit because i felt like it was too logical all the time the 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 the, the sort of the end goal of those kinds of of that kind of writing never really inspired me. You know what I mean? Where you have an A, B, and a C, and it's like all of these words are combined to create a structure that makes sense, that sort of also drives a point home. I, I just never really liked that. I never, that's just a completely involuntary response for me. I have no reason why I don't like that, but I just always gravitated towards things that took a little bit more effort to wrap, to wrap your, not, to wrap your head around because that suggests that I'm like I'm in favor of complication but I like things that took a little bit more liberty to sort of disrupt logic if that makes sense Yeah. and a lot of great rappers start to string together words and phrases that I feel are 
completely nonsensical in ways that create a completely postmodern, you know, uh, and completely abstracted relationship to dialogue. And that's the kind of stuff that I, that I gravitate towards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in this kind of idea of like, um, we can be super inspired by like one thing, but that's not necessarily the thing that we have to make or that we yeah. are supposed to make. How yeah. do you, you know, you just said that that rap will always be, is and will always be your biggest inspiration. Why do you then not become a rapper? What is it, do you think that's drawn you to where you are now with the music that you make? I think because uh, those things that I just said tickle like a very specific uh, interest in me, right? They, 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 they fulfill a very specific need in my brain and they excite me in a very specific way. But I was also raised on very melodic music that once you have like an interaction of notes or like these harmonies or, or this interaction between a chord change and the melody that is is chosen, if if it's perfect to me, that creates this weird, not really quantifiable feeling that I always wanted to sort of chase and capture. Like, and it doesn't have to be like something pretty, you know, I, I got really obsessed with small, with Bill Callahan when I was probably like 19 years old. And he wasn't the most, he's, he's still not the most melodic um, musician out there, but the way certain, the way that he would use time to meditate on like a phrase or meditate on like a, a, a chord and then very willingly choose to change it and then say something that I thought was very effective over this new palette. That's kind of stuff that I think I, I also got obsessed with. And that was less easy for me to quantify. And it sort of to span different genres. I would feel the same listening to the microphones as I would listening to D'Angelo. And how disconnected those two are sonically didn't really matter. And that's why I started making music that I think was a little more song-based because I knew that eventually if I got good enough you can start to bridge gaps that are completely illogical and create an emotional resonance that persists regardless of what it sounds like and that's why i kind of move towards those things because it's completely unnameable it's, it's the closest you get to something magical very spiritual to me whereas the other things that i love about hip-hop and things like that i cannot i can kind of always break them down into reasons why they excite me i can't really tell you why I get the same feeling from like a Beatles song or a Aretha Franklin song or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's, it's less easy to pin down for me. So. When did you first start singing and sort of using your voice? Um, I was part of the, my, my, a friend of mine when I was like 16 or 17 showed me how to like record on a four track. And the first thing we ever did, his name is Sean, Sean Danaher. And the first thing we ever did was this series of really intense, abstract, noisy numbers that relied on a lot of like vocal looping. And I just like started moving from there. Like eventually that interest starts to calm down in making the abstract stuff. And then you start to go towards, well, how can I like write a lyric or something like that? It's just like natural curiosity, you know what I mean? And, um, Stuff that I was really into at that time, 
I would just try to emulate the same thing I did with beats, you know what I mean? I was really into like Bon Iver when I was like 16 and I would make songs that were like very falsetto driven just to see if I could do it. And it just all kind of naturally went, you know, it, it put all the things that I love together and allowed me to start trying to think about songs. So I think I was about 16 or 17 when I first wrote my first songs ever. Was that scary at first? Because I feel like there's more of a vulnerability to using your voice than using sort of a computer to program music. You know, it really wasn't because I was pretty alone. So I would use like Facebook Messenger to send like an idea to like two friends. But there was no, there was nothing at stake. It was just like a kid making music. and I never really felt embarrassed by it. I only felt embarrassed when I felt like I'd rushed out a song and I didn't like the lyrics or something like that. That's been a, a consistency since I started making music, even when I was really bad at making music. If I felt like at that time I didn't spend as much time as I wanted and I like sent it to somebody, I'd be embarrassed. You know what I mean? Because I knew that there was a certain choice that I didn't like that I couldn't fix because I couldn't figure out how to get past that, maybe that word choice, that melody choice. But other than that, I never really felt too nervous about it. I started to feel really nervous when I started releasing stuff a couple of years ago under my own name. That was the weirdest that was the weirdest transition for me because there were there was a small little built-in chunk of people who had listened to my old group. But those lyrics and, and those melodies were pretty intentionally obscured. And then once I started to try to make more vocal driven stuff, that was pretty scary initially. Just because it was like at that time so many kids who were my age or even younger were, were really good at their own sound and their own style and i i didn't have i was kind of shooting in the dark and so i like put out my first song and i was like i, I don't I, I was really really nervous and very upset <laughs> by the situation i just didn't feel like i had put in as much work as some people did to make themselves more confident to release their music you know what i mean but um yeah i mean Still you, figuring that out. yeah i mean you've kind of been learning like in in real time and some somewhat in front of a an audience through yeah. like a, a lot of your career how how does that like affect the way that you create it kind of goes back to the idea i said before i'm very competitive so i've learned to like take some of that anxiety and and either use it or completely ignore it because i actually don't make music for anybody i don't care like there's that part of me that i can truly confidently say i actually just don't care like, I'm really excited and very grateful that people are listening to it. But everything I'm doing is a very, very selfish experiment for myself. I I, I, I liken it to, like, this it sounds super pretentious, but it's just a good analog in that the French New Wave was built up of a lot of filmmakers who were film critics first and applied some of their ideas and their criticisms in their own films. And that's what I can kind of consider with my music. It's like, I don't really care. It, it, the, the, the end goal is, I hope that it becomes functional enough that people can like it on a practical level. But no choices I've ever made have been for any other reason than my own selfish uh, self-interest to try and figure out if I can add to or expand upon ideas that I think are nice. You know what I mean? And that, that, that comes with a lot of risk. That comes with a lot of accidental you know fuck ups it comes with a, a longer gestation period for me it comes it comes with a, a 
a series of, of mistakes that you make because I'm making things out of criticism and not so much out of like freedom, if that makes any sense. I make things because I can, but also because I, I'm supremely uninterested in a lot of other music. You know what I mean? And some people, in some 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 worlds, I respect so much that I don't have any interest in like trying to expand on those worlds. But when it comes to singers and songwriting, and and I always will have some a bone to pick with something, and that's what kind of pushes me to make music. So it, people's sort of perception of it is very welcome, and criticism is extremely welcome. But I don't really make it to, for any other reason than just to sort of fulfill my own little weird fantasies of what music could sound like eventually, you know? Yeah. I was really struck by this quote that I read from you where you'd said that you lost something since you started to really take what you wanted to do seriously. And I wondered if you've had any luck kind of identifying or reclaiming whatever that missing thing is. Yeah, I think it's just like, just there's multiple things. I've lost the greater uh, enjoyment of music. I've lost the same, like that weird naive fandom that I had because it's, I'm, all of my musical pursuits have now angled my perception of music as sources of either inspiration or competition. There's no middle ground anymore. And I've also lost, like, I think a little bit of a sense of the. I think sometimes like the purpose of existence is just this anonymous functioning and contribution to, 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 to the world. Right. I used to, I mean, I waited tables for like six and a half years and there was something so freeing about how completely detached I was from any sort of ego pursuit and you just sort of function and then you can either decide to like continuing to function in that little space or resisting the space and, contributing to a greater good and i think that i lost a little bit of that i don't know you become a little more self-centered and a little self-interested in every sort of interaction you have can become if you choose to to make it this way it can become like a weird journalistic or like anthropological pursuit to try and enhance your own creative shit and i just think that's amazing at times and sometimes very depressing for me you know I'm at war with this constant need to try to make something really good, which I think in turn makes me enjoy the simple stuff a little bit less because you're looking for grand sweeping <coughs> inspiration throughout life. And I don't think life owes you that. And I don't think existing is really owes you anything. I mean, on like the basic like existential level, but you find yourself looking for inspiration instead of creating it, at least my perspective. And I found that a bit, uh, a bit disheartening, you know, but it is what it is, I suppose. How do you think you can develop like a sustainable creative mindset where you kind of not battling with these ideas of making the perfect song and everything happen? you know, like how do you make it something that's sustainable that you can continue to do without sort of damaging yourself too much along the way i think i've started the process which is surrounding myself very slowly and very very deliberately around people who are really good at what they do and also extremely separate from my own process i think it allows me to just see what the creative aspect 
of my life is for what it is, which is just a, a thing that's happening. It's just some sort of collection of psychological impulses or some sort of neurological specificity that allows me to make music. And it's not as precious as it needs to be. And I think, that, you know, I think also just releasing music has humbled me. I still need to be humbled a little bit more, but when you realize that like your greater, uh, your greater ideas are kind of irrelevant when it comes to how democratized listening is. So people can just choose to, to listen to what they want to listen to and how and they, and they choose to interpret it, how they want to interpret it. And that's helping me, I think, a little bit more because I still, at the end of the day, after all these realizations, I still just make music. It's kind of my thing right now. And so when you are wrestling with these grander ambitions and you realize that some of them are worthwhile and some of them aren't, you're just sort of left with the bare bones, the skeleton of what it is, and that's just making music. And I think it's, it's happening very slowly for me, getting to appreciate the situation a little bit more. Um, I think it just takes time. I think yeah. it just takes time yeah. and growing a little bit. You know what I mean? When you start making music and releasing it, it's this this the end-all, be-all of your existence all the time. And I think I'm now coming down from that sort of weird crucifixion and realizing that I just I just do make music. And in my head, it's a lot denser and a lot more complicated than maybe some people understand right now that perception is completely irrelevant. And if I need to use that sort of self gas as fuel, then by all means do it, but I shouldn't expect anything from it, you know? And I think that's helping me a lot more in my day to day life. Yeah. You know? How did your latest project, how do you feel about getting married? How did that start out? Cause I know there's, there's footage of you performing songs that are on that sort of a couple yeah. of years ago and stuff. How did that begin as a project? I wanted to make an album, and I, I think the first song I did for that was was Jesse. Mm. And I started touring and playing shows, and I'm not the most efficient with my time. So I started getting kind of hamstrung and like not really working on an album anymore, and I had like one song. So when I started playing live, I just wanted to release more music, and so I just came back home in the middle of tour, asked some friends to help. And then I kind of made every other song pretty much then and there, like within like a week and a half. And that became sort of, all right, let's just put this out because I haven't put something out in like a year. Let's put this out. And just, I'll just start this, the album ideas from scratch. And it was pretty, is as simple as that. You know, I was working on the songs and I had to go back on tour. So I played a few more, a few of the songs that I had just written. And that became like also a way to, for me to get excited because you know, I, I started playing shows a year or two, a year and a half after I released my first music, which sort of dis disheartens you a little bit because I, the touring opportunities weren't there when I first made that music. So I was then having to backpedal and play songs I didn't connect to anymore. So it just came out of just this necessity to try and get some more music out and also feeling like with all these things happening, touring and I had moved to Highland Park I just didn't feel confident that I was going to discipline myself enough to make an album. So I just made some songs and they all kind of came about in the same period. So they all felt very similar. And I just decided to put it out, you know, still chasing that white whale of an album. I have a problem with albums. I don't like them. Um, right. I don't like them anymore. And so I have a difficulty trying to convince myself to create a larger body of work because I've always made music in real time, you know, 
am I'm trying to find ways that an album or the greater idea of an album can be challenged because I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of uh you know unnecessary stress on the idea of an album and in my head how do you feel about getting married as an album it's just it is it's just a series of songs that i think work and there's not much in the way of there was no single and it was just like a collection of songs so yeah now i'm just wrestling with that kind of thing of like what i want my album to be and you know you have to sort of adhere to this idea that it has to be longer which i don't really understand but yeah, I'm working on that. Yeah, you know, I just think it's arbitrary. Because yeah, do you think that that do you think that that's even an important thing? I mean, I think I feel like a few, a couple of years ago, when Kanye put out all those like seven song albums, that was a big debate, wasn't it? Like, are they are they albums? Because they were all about twenty minutes long. But do you think that albums? Do you think that that's a relevant concept anymore? Even no, I find it completely arbitrary. You know, I think that like. I don't have all the data, so I'm not going to go into a whole thing that can like skewer me on. But I, I really would venture to say that LPs were created as like a standardized situation that was very contextually, you know, sensible at the time. You know what I mean? If you're going to print, you don't have the dissemination of, of music as readily as we do now. So if you're going to print a record, you have long form physical ways to do that. And I think that makes sense. I don't think that we really need that anymore because everything's digital. I think as much as we want to harken back to a golden age of something, I find it a little confusing and a little arbitrary. I feel like the new legacy, like you look at Wikipedia and you look at the Radiohead thing, it's like, yeah, sure, it took them two years to to make these albums and they're like tw- you know, an hour and a half long, and that's awesome. It makes sense, but I'm sure they wouldn't do that if streaming was available in 1996. I'm sure music would completely look different. I just think that we need to embrace that now. I think that it's it's interesting, like negotiating with management about like what the next body of work is, and there's sort of this unanimous decision that it's going to be an album, which is over 30 minutes. And I just I just have to wonder what good does that do to try to fulfill this like time thing that's completely arbitrary and no longer relevant. It's not relevant anymore, in my opinion. So I, I personally think that everything Kanye does, if he wants to call it an album, is an album. And I feel like, you know, there are legalities baked into people's deals and things like that that render a studio record very specific. But I think it's antiquated. I think it's old. And I think it's I think it's silly. I think some people are very good um, and they can pack a flurry of emotions and amazing, dense ideas in a few songs. And perhaps that should be considered. Because also I feel like when you start placing these constraints on time and length and track lists. It's just like people just have the tendency to make worse things. And I think under those conditions, you know, uh, I think that psychologically that, that affects you. I think back in the day, you make a great album because that's, that's the medium. That's the format. And I think now our format is completely different, abstracted. So I think trying to adhere to a studio length probably results in a lot of filler, especially because I think a lot of people are making music, now with completely different contexts so suddenly they're using their new form of expression and trying to take 15 steps back to try and adhere their development to an old format of expression 
right? Uh, like if kids just make records on on FL Studio and make 20 records a month and then have to try and curate a specific body of work, I just find it probably counterintuitive to a lot of the way to the way a lot of people make music, especially me. I just make songs. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that's because the, the you know before there is any attention on the on the project there's no stakes you just make songs and you put them on soundcloud i mean that that mindset is new i think and i think that the requirement that you have to backpedal to try and make a body of work that can be consumed in the way that records were 20 years ago i just think it's kind of weird to me i, I don't know it makes no sense but whatever do you think that as someone who really works in in real time the way you do, you would struggle with that idea that because I guess what often happens with an album is you have songs sitting around for a long time and then by the time they come out, the artist is kind of sick of the the records. Is that something you think you would struggle with? Yeah, I think that I, I'm trying to. If I want to adhere to this idea of making a record, I think that it's just unfortunately will have to be songs that I just make at that time. And I think that you have to sort of get over this idea that albums are necessarily more legitimate and legacy projects, right? So I just think that I've resisted this idea of like holding on to a song for the album. I just like don't really understand that. I don't get it. And I think that because of the things you're talking about, like getting sick of records that are old, I think that I'm just going to try to force myself to, to make records in real time and just make them longer, I guess. <laughs> just to make people feel like there's an album uh, or make more of them because I don't want to suffer through the whole idea of like, I made this song two years ago and now I'm going to repurpose it. I, I don't work like that. And I don't know a lot of people who do anymore. So, um, yeah, I, I keep that in mind though. You know, like just trying to, to, to find those waves of inspiration so then i can capitalize on the capitalize on them so i can prevent myself from holding on to songs for so long like if i can make six songs in a, in, in a week-long setting then i just want to you know that's the album so far and we'll know when it's done in the next flurry of six songs or whatever instead of trying to nitpick each each track and each record to be part of the greater whole i just find that stupid you know I was interested in this idea that like I guess sort of over these sort of months we've been we've been talking about it's like you you've obviously you've dropped you've dropped married you put out the tune with Charlie XCX and you put out this production stuff on Bandcamp do you think people sort of struggle to have an artist who's doing all these different things that sound totally different Yeah I think that it's like I don't know for necessarily, I think that we don't live in like this utility, like this, this idealistic utopia. And I think that that does frustrate people. I think it's really optimistic to think that people would give a shit that my, like, how do you feel about getting married? Wouldn't be able to be made if I didn't spend years experimenting with production, even though it doesn't sound like that. I think that for me or something like doing the Charlie thing, it's like, that's just shit that I do. And anything that people gravitate towards now of my own work, it's inextricably linked to experiments that I'm constantly doing or influences that I've constantly had. But I do think that people get frustrated that it doesn't necessarily serve the same purpose as like a Dijon project would. would. You know what I mean? I've noticed like, yeah, there's 
people who are very positive, but some people who are completely apathetic towards any other expression of, the, of this thing because I don't necessarily, it's not providing the same function as my other music. And therefore it's not as relevant, which is totally fine. It's again, back to the learning curve that I'm having, which is being less precious about my own shit and realizing that I'm not, like the little contributions that you can have on a personal or individual level to people is, is important, but I shouldn't expect that sort of, uh, you know, I shouldn't expect some sort of uh, award for every single bit of exploration that I do as a musician. And I realized I probably wouldn't give that to any other musician. <laughs> like if it turned out that like, you know, Lady Gaga was also like a trance producer. I don't think I'd give a shit. I think that if it was good, it would be good. I don't think that I would necessarily applaud, you know, her for also having other interests. So I shouldn't expect that, you know, if people like the Dijon project, great. I guess it doesn't really, it's not really relevant if they care if I like made a weird ambient <laughs> song that sampled Christina Aguilera. I don't think that, I don't think it's their job to give a shit, you know? So, yeah. But I'm sure some people are, are really frustrated, are really frustrated by like getting a notification that it's not new music, that it's just like another thing yeah. that I'm doing. I'm sure. How was, how did Pink Diamond sort of come about and what was the version like that you sent to Charlie? Yeah, like I said in the beginning of the conversation, I was in, right when quarantine happened, it sort of gave me so much excitement and freedom to, do things that I wanted to do. And I think that um, I was just making like a, a series of, so I've been really fascinated with uh, trying to get out of the box because I've never been good in the box. I started making music on a four track with a sampler and the sort of um, the necessary uh, tools that I needed to make songs and other things started to gravitate towards the computer for a while. And I was, you know, I'm still broke, but I was like very broke at the time. So I didn't really have a lot of options. And once I was able to have a little bit more flexibility with like, okay, I can put a couple hundred bucks towards this piece of gear that I've always wanted to figure out how to use. I was able to kind of do that. And once I got back from tour, I was able to get a few hardware things that I've always wanted to experiment with. And because I always felt that my sort of inspiration doesn't come through, through attrition. It comes through complete accidental happenstance. And I always felt that like using hardware would allow for more accidents for me. So I was just making a series of sometimes really cool, sometimes really stupid things that were just me sort of getting my, my land legs with hardware because I just was so uninspired by opening a computer, which is a luxury in itself. It's like a fun little luxury that you can have. And I'm very aware of that. And a friend of mine that... um named bj burton who was executive producing charlie's record at the time he's just been a friend through mutual friends here um just hit me up and was like yo i'm working on this this, this charlie record um let me know if you have anything and i've always wanted to produce for other people i really i really always have and so i actually had made the pink diamond beat that day and he sent me that text and i just sent him the pink diamond beat. it's the only thing i sent him and it was pretty much exactly the same except the beat switch there's a beat switch in there that happened um because maybe a week after i sent him that beat charlie hit me up and um 
I, I'd run into Charlie a few times, but we'd never really talk. And she hit me up. She got my phone number and just sent me a demo on the initial beat. And it was pretty much exactly what the 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 final track sounded like. But they just sort of were saying like, okay, this is cool. Can you finish the song? And I was like, yeah, this is dope. So I just, uh, I waited like a week or two. And then BJ was like, yo, we want to submit the song. So I just um, created a beat switch that night that was like that little, that more heavy sort of intense thing. And then I sent it over to BJ. Charlie said she really liked the, the beat switch. Um, but but nothing on, on her verse end changed. I just kind of changed uh, the production. And then A.G. Cook ended up getting a hold of it, and I gave him the stems. And he just added a few things. He, like, made the sense that I had sound a lot cooler. They were a lot more aggressive when he put his distortion and stuff on them. But um, everything pretty much but the drums were, like, pretty much the exact same thing. And the end drums that you hear, that little break that's, like, really distorted those are the initial drums on the second half of the song, but everything else has been pretty much intact and AG just added some really cool stuff, but it was really simple. It was really hands off. I just sent the beat and then I switched it really fast and her team and, and Charlie were just kind of awesome and very cool about everything. So yeah. there was literally no, like there was also no confirmation that I was going to be on the record. It was just kind of a cool thing. And then BJ hit me up being like, all right, it's going to be on it. I was like, all right, cool. That was the easiest, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the easiest process of all time. And it was very fun. And, um, I'm hoping to get more opportunities. I really appreciate Charlie for like, I think a lot of people low key, especially when you're in LA do like an association game. Right. And people had heard that I was like making like acoustic music or like singer songwriter stuff. And I do think that when I would get offered like sessions or work, most people would err on the side of like familiarity. So, I really appreciate that Charlie didn't give a shit. She probably hadn't heard my music before and she didn't care that I had like a reputation as like a singer songwriter. She didn't give a fuck. She heard the thing and she was like, all right, cool. This sounds great. Like that, that was the, the biggest takeaway was that she's pretty rad for not using the association game. You know what I mean? I think some people would get turned off by the idea that I make like softer music sometimes. And um, that never came up, which is cool. You know, how was it having that drop on the same day as, how do you feel about getting married? Because it kind of blew up that kind of whole spectrum of what you do in, in one very focused moment, I felt like. Yeah, I was more I was more excited about Pink Diamond dropping than I was about the EP, personally. I just felt like, because it was kind of like a, a small victory for me. I've always had a grander vision of like, um, how I want the eventual end legacy to look. And I wanted it to be extremely contemporary. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to be forced into situations where, like, if I get big enough, the end goal for me is to write a song with Alicia Keys. Like, I would do that, but that's not my end goal. It's too linear for me. I thought it was more exciting that, like, the first production credit I've, I've ever had on any anybody else's work was pretty gnarly sounding. And that's that was just exciting for me because it, it's just... Uh, it's just... You know, it's just basic. It's just like this ego thing. I don't want to be considered anything specific. I want to. I just want it to constantly fluctuate and be amorphous and occasionally frustrate people. You know what I mean? But all for the greater, the greater good. I think that the Pink Diamond song is is really sick. I don't think it's like aggressive for aggressiveness' sake. I think it just sounds really cool. And I think as long as that function 
remains. That's the kind of stuff that I want to do. So I was more excited that Pink Diamond was coming out. But a lot of people had no idea. They didn't, also just didn't give a shit, which is cool too. It's very humble. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'd never really. I I I I've listened since, but I went on like Reddit and I saw this Reddit thread, and someone was like, "Oh, who produced Pink Diamond?" And everybody's just like, "I think it's Sego Bodega." And I was like, "Oh, word!" And then someone was like, "No, this is who it is." And everybody was like, "Oh, okay, cool." Like I thought it would be more fun, but it wasn't. But it's was cool. It's a it's a cool opening track. I think. Yeah. I think it was a good choice. Perfect. What's the most difficult thing that you've had to overcome so far in your career? Uh, comparisons are the first thing that comes to mind. I had to get ego checked a lot um, and realize that a lot of my resistance towards comparisons came from a personal insecurity and that being compared to anybody should typically be flattering and not so disruptive, but it really disrupted my creative process for a very long time. Being compared to acts that I didn't necessarily listen to or being compared to acts that didn't directly influence me or that felt pretty arbitrary frustrated me for a very long time. And that's been a huge thing to kind of get over and realize that it doesn't really matter. Another thing too was just touring. Touring's fucking hard and I, do probably too much live because I'm frustrated by the performer crowd dynamic. So I try to do too much, I think, and it just takes a huge physical toll on me. I had to go to like an ear, nose and throat doctor because I blew out my voice when I was opening for Omar Apollo. And that was just frustrating because it's just like you have a literal physical obstacle that is very hard to get over. And it requires like practice and it requires training and it requires commitment. And I'm not used to those things. <laughs> I'm used to like completely working on my own pace and my own schedule of things and just realizing that I couldn't express myself live every time the way I wanted to. It was very frustrating for me. So those are the only two things. Everything else is just like you chalk it up the process. I don't write a lot of music or at least I don't write quickly. So that's always been also a frustrating thing. It's trying to balance how to effectively capture and exercise that muscle without compromising. I don't want to be that kind of person who writes like, I meet a lot of people who write, you know, 300 songs a year. And I just couldn't really give a fuck about that. Like, I just don't care. But I'm also trying to figure out how to more effectively write, you know, how to do it quicker and how to do it. How to, I have like such a problem with my own brain that I wish I could be the kind of person who says like, oh, I'm writing every day. I'm like looking at the world and observing. I, it just doesn't work like that for me. And I'm trying to figure out how to more effectively streamline my process because it gets very frustrating, which is, yeah, that's that's a tough one too, is to try to be more effective as a songwriter. I just like, it's one of these things where people just do write songs all the time. And it's, it's this, this war I have where I respect the commitment and the belief in music so much that that's what people do but i also have an inherent skepticism that if i did that perhaps my love of like magic would go away if i felt that it was easier to pin down if that makes sense and it's not a great justification but it is a justification in some way it's just i don't want to write like ditties all the time i want to like consistently challenge myself to think about new music and think about new perspectives and new arrangements and 
sometimes I feel like I don't want to dilute that by trying to write every single second. I just don't, I can't really quite compromise the two yet, you know. Hmm. It bothers me, but yeah. What are you most proud of about what you've achieved so far? There's two things. I think that I was pretty lucky and pretty uh, fortunate that I developed a specificity through stubbornness. And I think that like the first time I tried to record my own, the first song I ever wrote for my own project was Wild. And I released Wild like probably two years ago. And that was the first song I ever did for this project. And I was very, I, I'm, I'm mostly proud of the fact that I had an idea of how vocals should be processed. And then I just, that's become like my thing now. And also the guitar voicings, I think. I, I always really couldn't stand the way people were like, especially with the advent of like bedroom pop, just the way that everybody's got guitars being like phased out or flangered out. And then like, there's like weird vibrato on the guitar and then everybody sort of voices their guitars very similarly. I couldn't stand that shit. So I took a lot of stuff from country music because I like the way that they voiced their, their, their stuff. And I think I'm, I'm very proud of like having a very specific approach to my production and my like voicing choices. It's a little bit technical, but that's just something I'm very excited about is that it feels very distinctly me. And I think that when people try and like pinpoint it, they don't really get it. I, I, I often tell people how I do everything, but I think it has to do with just experimentation. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I was willing to like put out music that maybe wasn't as good as it could be just because it kept me on my toes and kept me learning. You know, I think that I'm developing a very specific approach, which allows me to try new things a little more confidently. I don't have to like worry that how do you feel about getting married? Getting married is like too quiet because I think that the other distinguishing aspects of how I approach songwriting is pretty intact now. So I think it allows me to try bizarre things. Like I, the biggest choice that I made on how do you feel about getting married was to stop yelling so much. I used to yell on all my songs, and I wanted to figure out how to do the complete opposite, which is why the music is so like quiet and why it's so the vocal approach is like very lead vocal driven because I just wanted to see if I could do it differently and still keep intact some of the distinguishing features of my music. And I think that I'm just proud of like, you know, continuing to persist in a very stubborn route of not trying to write anything that I don't feel capable of writing, you know? And, if, and using my voice more, more effectively and more dynamically. That's, that's, that's my biggest pride of things. I, I, everything else is just sort of, it's sort of an illusion. Um, I don't really need it. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. And then lastly, what does success look like to you? I don't know what it looks like. I know what it's going to feel like, though, maybe. And I think it'll feel like I had created a little world that I think was was needed or, or, or sort of filling up a, a space that hadn't been filled up yet. And I think that I haven't done that yet. And I'm very confident in saying that I haven't done that yet. I don't think I've made much necessary music. Maybe the closest song to the necessary song I've ever made is probably either Nico's Red Truck or Jesse. I'd say those are the only two songs I've made that I'm like, this might be necessary. Um, but that's like, that's I think that's what it'll feel like is knowing that I can confidently say that I'm like occupying a space that nobody can 
I don't know if that's necessarily true right now. I don't know if anybody I, I, I readily see making music I know is making something that I think is necessary, except a select few. I think that there are a few out there that I think they're making things that are absolutely undeniably new and undeniably needed. And I think that I will actively say who they are. It's Terza. I think Mika Levy and Terza are making some of the most important music in the world. I think Arca is making some of the most important music in the world. I'd say a lot of my friends are, are, are approaching that world and everything else is just, I think everybody's on the same path. They're just trying to carve out a lane that's super neat. And I think I'll know what that feels like when it's like, okay, I can look at my music objectively and say this was needed. You know, I think that I have the, a very objective lens on what I do. Yeah. I'm still getting there. You know, it's a process. Thank you for listening to Making Conversation with Grant Bryden featuring Dijon. If you like this episode, then please be sure to rate, comment and subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. You can listen to Dijon's How Do You Feel About Getting Married on streaming services now. You can find me on social media at Grant Bryden.